Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 324, recorded February 21st, 2023. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Aachen. And I'm Aaron Bellini. And this episode is brought to you by Compiler, a podcast from Red Hat. Tell you more about them. Aaron, it's awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for asking me to be on. <laughs> yeah, you bet. <laughs> Yeah. Why don't you tell folks a bit about yourself before we jump into the topics? Yeah, I'm Erin Malini. I've been a web developer since around the year 2000. I currently work at Energy Solutions as a code base lead on a Django project there, which means that I write and review a lot of Django and Python code on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, Energy Solutions, where I work, is an energy consulting company that's mission-driven to protect the environment through different energy things, to be real not specific. Um, I specifically work on a Django project that facilitates energy, energy efficiency pro programs. Um, and energy efficiency is actually a super powerful and cost-effective way to combat climate change. Um, and that's according to the U.S. Department of Energy. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And, All the wasted energy and bad insulation and uh, other things like that. That's, that's really cool. That's yeah. That's good work. Uh, really quickly, before we dive into Brian's item here, how are you feeling about Django and the recent changes? I feel like it's picked up a lot of momentum lately. It's picked up some new features like async stuff. Is that exciting for you and your team? Um, yeah, for sure. It's exciting. I I am coming from a background where I was actually coding in a different web framework for years and um, switched over to Django. So I'm just happy to hear that more and more people are um, downloading it and using it. So yeah, yeah, yeah I just, I cool. wanted to stick around because <laughs> I like it. I, I, yeah, absolutely. All right, Brian, you want to kick us off here? Sure. Um, so this one, first one's coming from Brett Cannon. So he wrote an article called uh, use Toml for .env files, question mark. And I, what, there's a, so there's the question at the end and we'll talk about that. But um, I just ran across, I mean, I don't know, because I'm not a web developer very much. I mean, I'm getting more so now, but um, I wasn't really familiar with the .env files until just recently. And so one of the great things about this article is it talks about kind of what these are. So uh, what these are often is you've got um, you've got uh, settings for your for your application. And uh, th there's an idea of a 12 factor app design, which I kind of like read about many years ago and forgot about. Um, but one of the ideas is you, you don't want to like have too many differences between your development environment and your live environment. And one of the ways you do this is using environmental variables to store things like login credentials and all that sort of junk. And, um, and in Python, one of the ways we do that is through .env files and also through um, a project called uh, python.env, which is used by uh, Pydantic and a lot of other projects. And what this does, what this does is allows you to have defaults in there. So you have, so in your development environment, you might have something silly, some silly credentials, uh, but then, or, you know, looking up somewhere, but then uh, in your live environment, those are actually set by the, uh, the, the production server to set those um, secrets. And, uh, and so the question really is, what's the format of this? So, um, and I kind of never really thought about it before. And the, basically the problem is, it's not defined uh and it's in <laughs> there exists a text file it has secrets 
some of that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it says it's kind of like bashish files or something. It's by the, uh, it's a format that's not formally specified and improves over time, according to the <laughs> python.in uh, uh, readme. Um, but that's not really, what does that mean? Uh, it kind of means it's your application so that you can, you can define it however you want, right? But maybe we should have some standardization. So um, Brett was looking further into this. And uh, one of the solutions that Adafruit came up with was um, let's not use .env, but actually just do a settings.toml. And it's used for the same thing, to store secrets such as passwords and API keys. Um, so they're using toml. And then basically kind of when you just do a normal, simple toml file, it looks pretty much like a normal any other .env file that people have used. So really that's the question that um, that Brett is posing is, can we just standardize on this? Why don't we just, you know, standardize .env as .toml, as .toml format? Um, and I think, why not? Uh, mostly it'll work for everybody already. And uh, then you could do things, you could do cool things if we did .toml, you could extend it a bit. So like in the VS Code code base, they're, they're talking about like using uh, categories and specific table to hit. You'd have multiple tables in there instead of just the global one, but. I think that's a cool idea. I like the ability to have multiple things like test and maybe dev or like a connection string to a database or something. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't make me sad if it was JSON as well. I know Aaron is going to make a cameo for JSON later, but, you know, Tommel seems to be winning on these things and I would be okay with Tommel as well. So Aaron, Aaron you you do web development. What Do you use .env files or this sort of a setting? Um, We use settings we yeah we don't use dot env files we have we do have local settings but um okay. yeah no cool i'm not really a django developer so maybe is it built into django to have some solution for this we yeah i'd have to like i'm not a i get it okay. running on my machine and then i go <laughs> and i code yeah okay so all the on stuff <laughs> yeah all the on stuff is not yeah Okay. Is, is not cool. stuff I, I worry about unless I'm installing a new requirement or something. Well, yeah, and Django does have its its way of managing settings that predates this stuff, I believe, as well. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, Michael, should we switch to Pedantic? I have some, I have some crazy news for you. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, first, huge, huge uh, congrats over to Samuel Colvin. And I've had him on the show to talk about Pedantic before. Uh, Pedantic is one of the more exciting libraries, I think, especially in the API space, but also Python Bytes itself is powered by Beanie, the MongoDB, ORM or ODM, and that is uses Pydantic models as its validation in an exchange, like the things that are mapped to MongoDB are Pydantic classes. So here's the news. The Sequoia, like one of the biggest VC firms in California, in the world probably, backs open source data validation Pydantic to commercialize with cloud services. That's crazy, huh? Yeah, wow. We are a long way from the buy me a coffee, donate PayPal button that you see on the various projects in, in this. And I think it's just a sign of the open source space finding its way to support really successful projects and to support people whose time and energy and contributions to the world would be better spent to create you know, further this this library than say potentially like, well, how can we get like 1% of 1% increase on ad clicks by using my library or something like that, you know, working for like companies that, that don't necessarily contribute so much. 
So some of the highlights here, you'll notice when I said we're a long ways from buying me a cup of coffee, Pydantic Services Incorporated emerges from Stealth today with 4.7 million in seed funding. Wow. So yeah. wait, big coffee. <laughs> that is a lot of coffee. You could have <laughs> that's like coffee for life. Some of that fancy kind, you know, the, the weird, uh, weird variations and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so there's a, it's not just Sequoia. It's Paratech. It's Irregular Expressions. It's Zabier co-founder Brian Hemli, uh, Helmig, who's also been on Talk By Them before, and some other folks. Uh, co-founder of Century, David Kramer, so on. So let me see. I wrote down some of the highlights out of this whole article that I wanted to hit on. Uh, first of all, also this comes from Mark Little, who was a guest on show 285 and also a friend of mine. So thanks, Mark, for sending that in. The new, the whole, like, so you might be wondering, okay, well, 4.7 million is amazing. It's a lot of support. It means Pydantic is only going to get better and stronger. But what the heck are you going to get for your 4.7 million? So the idea is that this new commercial entity, it'll incorporate a bunch of tools and services that are powered by and inspired by the Pydantic library. And from what I can tell is its primary goal is to make Pydantic really, really good further, right? There's already this big project for 2.0 for um, rewriting the core in Rust. This is the last time I had Samuel on the show on TalkPython to talk about that, which is going to make it a lot faster. But uh, something a little bit akin to a platform as a service, something a little bit like a Heroku where you can push Python code to production in simple ways, but using the validation and the data exchange and the understanding that Pydantic has for data as part of this. So final thing that I'll, I'll get you all's thoughts on this is they're going to start with an initial team of six. Uh, the first three engineers are based in Montana, Chicago, and Berlin uh, of various places. And so, yeah, I I wish all the luck to the Pydantic team and to Samuel and, and folks. I think this is great. What do you all uh, think? I think this is great. Um... And I, I like the uh, conversion to Rust. That's pretty exciting. So, yeah. Yeah. Aaron, how's this sit with you? Does this surprise you? <laughs> um, no, it's it's cool. It's very cool. Um, I mean, I'm just googling it because I didn't research it before this this talk. But um, yeah, it sounds like it can be used with any Python based framework. Yeah, it came oh, out of Fast. Great. Yeah, it came out of Fast API. And it was it plays many important roles in fast API. It's the data validation. It's also the type hints that does the automatic data conversion, but it also drives like the Swagger Open API documentation and uh, and all those things. But it's it's been used way way more places. For example, like Beanie, which I mentioned, or SQL Model, and and plenty of others. And it's just starting to gain a ton of momentum as a really solid data exchange for Python that's not like directly yeah. talking to databases. So yeah, it should be good to see it grow. What, so does that initial, mean, what does that mean not directly talking to databases meaning it just well, it just reads what comes back from the API and validate it yeah that. it basically will take any JSON or if, okay. if you could take a Toml document you could turn it into a Python dictionary then you could pass that on and have it validated so you could say things like yeah uh, there this class has a list which is a list of orders and there can be no more than three orders in the list and they have to be orders and this thing has to be a number and like just all that kind of logic gets expressed in the model there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah nice. it's cool. So what, one, uh, just, I guess, a random thing. So it's a team of six, first three engineers based in Montana, Chicago, or Berlin. Um, wonder who's in Montana. And I guess uh, if you had to choose three, one of three places to live, which are, would you choose Montana, Chicago, or Berlin? <laughs> Gosh, I could. I think I'd go with Berlin, but. I could make a case for Montana 
or Berlin. They both are <laughs> awesome in their own separate ways. Like, <laughs> what what what's your um, what's your spare time look like? I guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I do love the theaters in Chicago. The theaters in Chicago are beautiful. Mm-hmm. I do too. But I'm thinking of motorcycle riding for days in Montana and the cities and all that stuff in Berlin. Erin, where would you live? Man, between those, that's really a hard choice. Uh, I moved to North Carolina for shorter winters, so it seems like Chicago would be out for that reason because they have even Montana might really be out. Winters, (laughs) yeah. yeah, So I would need to research what had the shortest winter, but also had really good vegan food. Like Chicago has amazing vegan food, but the winters, I I just can't. I think Berlin's going to be your bed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. Awesome. Well, over to you. Uh, what's your first topic? Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to go back to the Tamil topic because I, I kind of froze on that one. So we are using a YAML file for our local settings, not a Tamil file. I haven't actually seen Tamil before. I don't really know how different looking it is. Um, but uh, yeah, and settings are kind of baked into to Django for outside of the local environment stuff. Cool. But, yeah. So my next, uh, so my topic was, uh, my first topic is Jason Fields for performance and thinking about Jason Fields in terms of what they are, which is kind of like denormalized data. I'm really interested in the topic of normalization and denormalization and specifically how Jason Fields are basically denormalized and mutable data that's probably living in an otherwise normalized database. Um, so I was interested in this topic and I searched to see if I could find it anywhere online. And uh, yeah, so what we're showing here is this was a talk given by David Stokes at PHP UK in 2019 called How Denormalizing Your Data with JSON Can Boost Query Performance. Um, I always mispronounce, do you guys pronounce it JSON or JSON? And I'm sure you've talked about this before. I, I guess Michael. I had really thought I said J- JSON, like on top yeah yeah but i i don't brian what are you laying on this like the name jason jason oh yeah my gosh. it 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 is jason it's like it's the name um, <laughs> according to the creator and it is jason okay it's creator it's of jason. Uh, jason got it's it jason but i i will mispronounce it a lot um <laughs> and it stands for javascript objects notation um but yeah i think my philly comes out because i'm always saying json so uh Yeah, so David Stokes gave his talk. He is a technology evangelist, and a lot of the talk was about MySQL as a backend in particular. But the parts of the talk that I found really interesting are the history lesson, and I kind of have it highlighted here. It starts at around minute 250, where he talked about how Edgar Codd at IBM developed the idea of a relational data because hardware was expensive at the time. So having relational tables and normalized data was a way to um, not have duplication of data. And uh, normalized data, just a quick definition is is like, uh, or example is like taking an address and breaking it down into, into parts. So experts, you know, had been saying for years at this, uh, at this point, like normalizing data is the way to go. You want to normalize your data. Um, and then during this history talk, he mentioned, and then no SQL came in and shook things up. Um, and after that, SQL added JSON data types for a mutable data type. So you don't have to define and normalize your whole database. You can um, kind of have these mutable fields. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So anyway, the history lesson, I just found that super interesting uh, as, a, as a data person. Um, do you guys find that interesting at all? I do. Uh, I do, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. I think that this concept of mutable schema, not mutable data per se, but that the schema itself 
doesn't have to be as controlled and as strictly guarded by a DBA that goes through some giant process to figure out what you do can add a ton of flexibility to the way that you you evolve your app, right? So it, there doesn't necessarily have to be a DBA. It could be like, well, how, how are we going to schedule the downtime so that we can do the schema migration as we roll out this new feature, right? Like those kinds of things can get challenge, challenging. Um, you know, if you roll out the code first then and it's some kind of relational thing, you're using SQL Alchemy or something like that, it's going to crash saying that the code doesn't match the database. If you roll out the database first, you know, the, it may no longer match what the, the code that's running is. And like, there's always this, well, what do I do? And having some of this more mutable schema, in this case, they're talking about MySQL. I believe it's basically the same for Postgres, where you can have columns that are JSON. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you, you just say to the database, the schema is JSON, but your code knows, well, it's actually a list of these things with these properties in it. And you want to add a new property? Great, you add a new property. As long as your code can deal with it, super. So I think it's it's certainly something people should consider. It, it really adds a lot of flexibility. You don't need a, necessarily a normalization table because you can just put the stuff you know in a list, for example. Yeah, and not only flexibility, but also um, quicker querying. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I really liked uh, starting around minute 14, which is, this is what I was kind of looking for when I was looking for this topic. Um, so I really liked that he gave this talk about it. He goes over an example of a music store and you have these items in a music store like guitars and you don't want to have to add field every time there's a new um, guitar feature, right? So mm-hmm. you have these these JSON fields um, in your database. And like you said, they're available in lots of different backends. Um, I, we yeah. use Postgres and yeah, we use JSON fields all over the place. So excellent. And he has this really cool diagram where he shows, you know, reducing database dives and many too many joins where you're diving from, you know, you know, one index into another into another to just to get at the data that you can get at the top level if you have it in this JSON field. Right. If you don't have to do a multi-way many to many join when it's just in in there directly, right? Because you have more flexibility. It doesn't have to be tabular. Yeah. Yeah. So I found it really cool. Um we use JSON fields in one of our big Django projects quite a bit. And yeah, our data is totally, our schemas are normalized. Um, but we we find it really helpful for also for reporting, um, making reporting really, really fast because of that uh, database dive that you don't need to do. And also for tracking um, snapshots of data. So something happened on this date and then the relational record changed. But the JSON gives you the snapshot of, of what the user did on that date. So that's, right, that's really a good useful point. too. Because if the snapshot doesn't match the current schema, well, then how are you going to store it? Like that gets to be a problem. But just right. JSON is JSON. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I guess I've taken this kind of to the, the far extreme in my world. So I'm a huge advocate, but doing I do almost all my work on MongoDB, which means it's it's all JSON <laughs> all, okay. all the way down. All right. So, uh, but I, I think it's absolutely Fabulous way to work. I love it. The operational side of, of not doing massive migrations all the time, it's really, really good. Yeah. And I'm actually working on a blog a blog article about it because I couldn't find what I specifically wanted to talk about today. So I'm I'm writing up a blog article. It's not published. It will, it'll be published next month. Um, but yeah, I'll share it later with you guys. Yeah. Yeah, please do. Yeah, and please I think that's, that's a- think that's a great, uh, actually a great thing for people to do is just 
there's a, a discussion of something and it does if you can't find an article that expresses what you want to express then write one it's great yep indeed all right brian how about i tell everyone about our sponsor before we move on oh that's a great idea yeah as I said at the beginning, this episode is brought to you by the Compiler Podcast from Red Hat. And just like you out there listening, we're big fans of podcasts, Brian and I. And we're happy to share one of the most highly respected, one from the most highly respected open source companies, Compiler, uh, original podcast from Red Hat. It brings together a curious team of Red Hatters to simplify tech topics, provide insight for a new generation of IT professionals. Uh, and the show covers topics like what are the components of a software stack? Are big mistakes that big of a deal? And do you do you have to know how to code to contribute and get started in open source? Hint, not all, not always. Depends on how you're trying to contribute. So Compiler closes the gap between those who are new to technology and those behind the inventions and services shaping our world. And they bring together stories and perspectives from the industry and simplify its language, culture, and movements in a way that's fun, informative, and guilt-free. I recently listened to Are We As Productive As We Think? And that episode is, is really fun. There are a bunch of, there's a bunch of good advice in there. As a developer, owner of our tech company, and a technologist, these productivity hacks such as time boxing, focusing on one ta uh, task at a time, and incorporating intentional breaks into your workday all stood out as super relevant. They suggest that by creating an honest self-image of your productivity habits and being intentional about how you spend your time, you can reduce the overwhelm of multitasking that you have to do and increase your focus and creativity, creativity uh, leading uh, to you being more successful, for sure. So learn more about Compiler at pythonbytes.fm slash compiler. The link is in your podcast show notes. Thanks to Compiler and Red Hat for keeping this podcast going strong. Indeed. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Fun show. And... Tell us, you going to take us to school, Brian? Uh, yeah. So Kevin Markham is a friend of the show, a friend of ours, um, uh, ran into him a lot during when when I was going to conferences more. Uh, that's hopefully coming up again. What are but, those? <laughs> conferences. You know, when people get together in real life. Um, you know, but um, so Kevin took a little bit of a break. He's a, he used to write a lot. Um, and uh, I hadn't, I guess I hadn't noticed, but um there's a break between August of 2021 and then now in February of 2023. So a couple year break and, you know, we all need that. That's fine. But these articles are great. So a couple new articles that he has, um, I'm going to pop through a couple of them. Uh, how to use F strings with pandas. Um, so uh, basically it's, it's a good discussion of F strings. If, you, if you're not comfortable with F strings already, um, this is a good intro uh, to, to why F strings, F strings are great to, to pop in values. Um, I don't know if it's really that panda specific, but one of the things uh, uh, I really loved, I'm going to pop to my favorite part of this article. Um, so, and I forget to do this, so I'm glad that he points these out. So one of the things is you can, um, it's not just uh, taking a value and putting it in brackets so that you can print it, but you can do, it's an expression in the brackets. So you can call like upper for a name uh, variable so that you can print it in uppercase and not have to do that before you pass it to the F string. Um, or you could do things like, uh, you know, some a little bit of math. So if you've got like his example had days completed and he did like, uh, you know, 365 minus that divided by to get a percentage. So this is um, uh, pretty cool to think. Um, remember, the if, if the only place you're going to use the value is within the string, you could just do it, do it within the expression. So those are good one. The, the part that it really I never really occurred to me to do that I wanted to highlight was uh, he had different different columns of data within a, like a data frame. 
and referencing them with a string index, and then using using uh, f string as the to to pick the index within a you know a loop. And it never occurred to me to use f strings to uh, to generate the index in um, so for a string index. This is a cool idea. So yeah, that is wild. I, I like it. Highlight. Um, the other article is a fly through of uh, Jupyter key, keyboard shortcuts. And uh, I guess I just have to say I'm a huge fan of the rocket emoji. Um, I wonder but, why. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, uh, I, I like it. Was, this is not overwhelming. So especially for people that um, use, use, I mean, if you use it a lot and you don't know keyboard shortcuts, this would be a good intro. But uh, people like me that just pop in, use it every once in a while for something. Um, uh, these are useful just for those people too. It's not an overwhelming list. There's some great stuff like just, you know, hitting escape and enter to go back and forth between command mode and edit mode, for instance. And then uh, I'm totally going to remember this one, A and B for create a cell above or below the current cell. So these are just some really great little uh, Jupyter tricks um, to, to make yourself more productive and not have to touch the mouse as much. Uh, so anyway, some good good things I, here. I think it's great. I wish actually Jupyter had more hotkeys. They're really, there's really a lot more they could do there. But yeah. Knowing the ones that are there, I think it's pretty excellent. Um, yeah, for me, I uh, often uh, try to use Vim shortcuts, and it's just not—it doesn't <laughs> it's work. Just not going to have it. <laughs> no. Aaron, what are your thoughts here? Um, the F string article is really was really nice. Uh, yeah, it's just not, it's it's hard to find a good F string article that like tells you all these different things you can do. So I was just scanning through it, and uh, we use F strings uh, quite a bit. And if we have old format uh, old format python strings that are in the code that we're updating in a pull request we always ask the developer to please update those old ones to use app string oh, as that's well a they're idea. just so yeah. much they're just so much more readable as you're going through it go ahead and fix them yeah yeah instead of like fixing them all just yeah. go through and fix the ones that you're touching does pi upgrade do that or i can't remember i can tell you that flint does flint yeah that's it oh. flint so i've taken Thanks. flint and run it against large projects that I've done in it. In the early days, it introduced one bug out of 20,000 lines of code, but it it wrote rewrote like a thousand <laughs> print or string formats of various versions, and I, I found it to be really helpful. So, And that's F-L-Y-N-T, just yeah, F uh, for, the, for the podcast yeah. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Yeah, so this is really good. So, you know, if, if, you, if you ask people to do that, you could suggest like, and you could try just running this on your code start yeah. and just you know make sure it doesn't break anything but it's been pretty stable since the few oddities it oh, hit. that's cool we'll check that out. we'll check yeah. that out cool indeed all right brian you all done with yours yeah um and all i right. just did look it up i think the pi upgrade also does it <laughs> oh no anthony lister out there in the audience is just just trying to egg us on <laughs> single quotes or double quotes with those f strings <laughs> uh see last yeah. episode yeah exactly that's a whole debate last episode <clears throat> all right my next item is bio gpt and so we've heard about chat gpt and this is similar stuff but applied to biology so create me a cat that barks exactly (laughs) and now make it mutate into a snake um how how many generations will this take three Hmm. all right so i want to just as a as a way to you know it's not really easy for me to demo this so like let me as a way of motivation just show you like a chat gpt thing since you were just asking about brian Okay. Check this out. Here's a here's a cool program that talks about how you should never write insanely nested code 
You should instead use, so the, for people listening, this is like, it says, is this a platypus? If self thought is manimal, and then if self thought has fur, then if self thought has a beak, and so on and so on. It's like nested over so the code starts in the middle, maybe a bit to the right of the screen. <laughs> and it says return true, right? Like you shouldn't do that. What should you do? You should write guarding clauses. So check this out, Brian. If I go over to ChatGP and I say, I'm going to give you a program in Python, I want you to name it. Arrow. And it'll say, sure. Arrow sounds like a great name. And I give it this. And it talks about what it does. It checks whether it's a platypus and say, rewrite arrow to be less nested using guarding clauses. Certainly. Here you go, it says. And what did it write? Exactly. The new pattern that you should have used. Is that insane? What do you think, Brian? Aaron? I, I wouldn't write the code like this anyway, but okay. All right. <laughs> now that, uh, so Arrow checks for a platypus. Plat, plat, plat. Fix it. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, here. Hold on. Platypus. Rewrite it to check for uh, crocodiles. Look at this. So, sure. No problem. We're going to write is it a crocodile. And look, the tests are is it a reptile? Has scales? Does it have jaws? Does it have a four chamber heart? <laughs> wow. Can it is that insane? Yeah. All I did is yeah. I'm going to give you this code and just start asking questions. So, okay. So impressive, right? So back to chat, uh, bio GPT. Think okay. of what this can do for doctors and nurses and people trying to understand like written text uh, yeah. of this. So it contains, this bio GPT contains a, an implementation specifically trained for like medical analysis, kind of like chat GP as a general analysis tool. This one is like specifically for medicine. Okay. So pretty cool. Apparently it can do pub med QA tasks. I have no idea what that is, but if I was a doctor, I'm sure this is like, <laughs> how, how good are you answering questions with 81% accuracy, which might sound like, well, that's 19% not good enough, but I bet you doctors don't do it at hundred percent accuracy either. You know, there's a lot of examples where um, AI is predicting cancer sooner or better or more accurately. Hey, right. and I bet it's better than like Dr. Google and looking up your uh, symptoms and find and thinking you have the worst thing. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And well, so, that's what I was curious about. If it was named like like, what am I dying of today? Like, <laughs> <laughs> will will I die? GPT. <laughs> oh, it seems grumpy. I don't know. So it comes with different models. It has the GP, the Bio GPT one, but it also has the large one. And my experience with this stuff is the large models are where it's at. The the regular ones are quick, but they're not very accurate. You want to go for the large model. So there's a bunch of different ones, like one trained for um, fine-tuned for relax, uh, relation extraction task on KDDTI, which is a certain type of data set or other ones. So you can pick which ones it is. And then you just start writing Python code. So you can either use a PyTorch style of programming, or I think down here there's a hugging face variant as well. So if it seems mm. a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer. So you just... Your model is from pre-trained Microsoft slash BioGPT. And there's even a thing where you can try it out down here. Um, there's like a live, yeah, some uh, answering questions, for example. Here you can pull this up and you can ask it questions. Um, for example, this one. <laughs> Should chest wall irradiation be included uh, after da 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 uh, Yes. It's just yes. I don't know. You, people can play around with examples. Like I said, I'm not a doctor. I don't really know uh, reasonable things to ask it, but... It's, it's a weird world that we live in, and 
it has lots of positives and lots of negatives, I'm sure, that we're going to come to learn about. But BioGPT, if you're working on analyzing medical text, check this out. It's from Microsoft. I think anything that would reduce the amount of time doctors and medical professionals have to spend on the computer is probably good. So if this means they need to enter less things in because it's just like figuring stuff out for them. And that would be yeah. really powerful. Ab but if it's just another Absolutely. tool that they have to use on the internet that makes them not get to be face to face with their patients, then I'm just kind of skeptical of it. Yeah. I feel like you could ask it questions like, we gave this person, oh, here's their symptoms. We gave them this diagnosis. Is that consistent with, you know, historical things? And it could do a lot of comparisons and analysis. Or do you think this person has this disease? Instead of just yes or no, it's like, why do you think that? You know, you could have this conversation with it and it may be able to tell you. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Indeed. I, All right. Well, I, I guess uh, I was joking about it a little bit, but I think there's a lot of power there. I mean, like like you said, um, I don't know, uh, if we can get doctors actually seeing people more, but also, um, you know, maybe a 911 call could like, if, if we determine it's not an emergency yet, but maybe we could direct the person to the right the right place faster. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, there's lots of places where maybe somebody not with a, like the full degree, but somebody that's still in pretty involved with medicine can can utilize this to ask the ask better questions and get somebody to somewhere faster. Um, right. Or even highlight you know, what were the key takeaways from this visit with the doctor? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, anyway. It's cool. Yep. All right. One more bit of feedback out there, Will McGugan. Hey Will. This is the kind of thing I'd like to see from AI uh, AI used for not putting artists and copywriters out of business. Yeah, I, I agree. Amplifying people's good work, not necessarily replacing it. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. All right. Aaron, got the last one. Okay, great. Um, so, yeah, talking about code mentorship and communicating with new developers, that's my next topic. So, Sheena O'Connell gave a talk at DjangoCon last year. Um, I attended that, that conference, but I missed this talk and watched it online later. And it's about her work at Umuzi, training unemployed young people in underserved communities in Africa. Um, so her, her company had to quickly build an online learning man management system when the pandemic hit in 2020. Um, and they built that LMS in Django, but, uh, which is why she was giving a talk at DjangoCon. Before then, the learning was all done in person. So anyway, you might think like, that's cool and all, but what is like, how can I apply that to me? Uh, and I think that this talk is really excellent. I also think, <clears throat> I don't know if you all have ever listened to the Django Chat podcast. Mm -hmm. They had Sheena on <clears throat> and she talked about um, her work at Umuzi and she talked about getting learners to review each other and also teaching green developers how to use GitHub and things like that so they don't, quote, bother their teammates too much once they get to their into their um, jobs after they're finished at Umuzi. And she specifically said, the quote I liked was, what sort of thing does a person need to know in order to not annoy their coworkers in the first three months? So I, I really liked like thinking about the learning in that way. Um, and uh, yeah, so something we started doing recently where I work is we had been doing code reviews. Me and the other code base lead had been kind of just doing them all ourselves. And our project manager, Matt, suggested we take out we have a new requirement where two non-code base leads have to review any pull request before any code base lead looks at it. So um, that's something we just implemented and uh, 
have, have either of you have familiarity with with pull requests and, and code reviews in your day to day? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have to say it's 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 really like been really helpful to us, and I, I liked um, I liked Sheena talking about that on on the Django Chat podcast. Um, she also mentioned that at Umuzi, the learners review each other. So someone who is further along in her course gets to both learn how to review code and also review someone else's um, answer. Because, you know, with Python, there are like a lot of different correct answers, right? So mm-hmm. so just like ter- like reactivating that part of their brain uh, to look back at a previous answer is, is kind of cool. Um, yeah. Where are you going to? I also think that it's cool that they're learning more than just loops, variables, functions, you know, yeah. but how to coexist as a, a teammate in a software team. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Good, she, good find there. Um, yeah. So so uh, we're always looking for new ways to like onboard developers. And um, another cool th- idea that Sheena had was writing half solutions and leaving gaps for others to fill in the blank. I thought that was kind of cool because when we onboard a new developer to our code base, um, it can be really rocky. And I kind of thought like, oh, that might be kind of neat. Instead of giving them a whole ticket to work on, like half finishing the ticket and like letting them fill in the other blanks is kind of cool. Um, and just one more article that I found about this was on the Cactus blog. I used to work at Cactus um, as, a, as a Django developer there. And so I still follow their blog uh, quite often. And they had this recent blog post uh, from Dimitri Chicken um, about their new internal mentorship program there where they have three different paths. And one is apprenticeship for folks just starting out as developers. One is for fellowship, and that's for people who are currently training in one of those coding camps. And then the third one, which is really kind of special, is mentorship for high school students. So um, I thought that was that was kind of neat. We're still uh, where I work. We're still figuring out how to onboard people. I, I feel like that is one of the hardest things. Do you do you both know what I'm talking about? Onboarding is is extremely difficult, and it depends on how how much. Uh, well, it depends on like the, the skill set you need people to have. I mean, when you have like a diverse set of skills, we always face that. So we've got I need somebody that need knows both uh, Python well, testing practices well, C plus plus well. And uh, it'd be great if they also knew uh, like RF measurements and stuff like that. And you just can't find those people. So you have to pick what you what you want somebody to compliment somebody else with and, and know that you're going to have to help uh, train. Right. The the, you support the them in the other areas. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, and what, one of the things you mentioned, like uh, uh, code reviews, we be, we use code reviews a lot for communication, not not necessarily for people to catch what somebody else is doing wrong but to make sure that everybody understands what the rest of the team is working on so we um, especially Mm -hmm. for long-running things uh, we have a practice of using draft code reviews so code reviews and draft so that um, and GitLab won't let you merge it if it says draft in the title so um, so then then people can just keep updating that and then they can get feedback even when it's not ready uh, when the code's not ready yet so good way to do that yeah very cool Nice. Well, uh, ni- nice find, Aaron. All right. Nice. That's all of our items. Brian, you got some extras for us to share? Anything else you want to throw out there real quick? No, I'm spending most of my extra time getting my talk ready for PyCascades. So PyCascades coming Ooh. up soon. Yeah, um, indeed. Coming up very soon. Excellent. 
Erin, wow. how about you? Want to throw anything out there? Yeah, DjangoCon US is in North Durham, which is 15 minutes from where I live. So I'm excited. Nice. <laughs> North Carolina is a fun place to visit. Yes. It's generally it's, warm, although uh, not always warm, but generally warmer than a lot of places. Generally warmer. And it's in October, so it'll be kind of a, a nice time of year, probably. Hopefully not boiling hot, but yeah, probably not. Cool. Uh, I'll have to try to see if I can get an excuse to get out there. That'd be fun. All right. Excellent. Anything else? Is that it? How about you? Yeah, I got one. Uh, you know, I do. All right. So um, an article came out a few days ago. Security researchers uncover 700 malicious open source packages on NPM and PyPI. This used to be a thing that could even headline. I think we even headlined, like, was the title of one of our shows, Brian. The news here is not this. The news is that this stuff is just not news anymore. So people, <laughs> be careful out there when you pip install stuff. Make sure you spell it right. That's like the... That's generally the worst thing is the typo squatting. So anyway, oh, the fact they're doing typos. Really, I didn't realize that that's how yes, they were. Like, oh, that's so smart. <laughs> like they might put a virus in request instead of requests with the plural. You know oh, what I mean? Or or if yeah. you transpose two letters, and there's some stuff that they're uh, the PyPA is trying to do to yeah. support that, but it's still tricky. Or like, standard lib stuff that you don't have to install. That's just there. People squat right. on that. Right, right. Um, yeah, they'll and create a package for that. All right. Uh, that's not the end of it. Another one. Brian, do you remember I announced, hey, everybody, update your Git. There's a uh, security vulnerability in Git. It's the first time this has happened in a really long time. Yeah. I said, make sure you apply Git to, or you install 2.39.1 or higher. Well, guess what? 2.39.1 has a, vi a vulnerability that's completely different. But if you try to clone from a malicious repository, you're going to be having a bad day. So update your Git again. Sure. All right. Um, and then also, I'm working on a project now where I needed a an ignore file, but the project was originally created in one language, and I wanted the ignore file for another, and I was basically going to combine them. So maybe you all know this, maybe you know this, but GitHub, when you go to create a new project, you can choose what kind of project is it? Is it C++? Is it Python? Is it Dart? Is it Flutter? And you'll get a different uh, ignore for that. Well, there's actually a repo, github.com slash github slash git ignore. And every single language that you could have chosen that dropdown has its ignore file here. So for example, the Python one, this, the, it's checked into this project. So when you say create a new Python project, what comes out as the ignore is actually this file. So if there's people out there who really need a change to the default behavior of the Python git ignore for projects, you know, you could go to a PR for this. But the way I use it is I just said, I also need one on Flutter, or uh, there's not a, a Flutter one, but there's a Dart one. So I got I grabbed the one for Dart and piled that in you there as well. Just add it to, or, yeah, just, or even if you're not yeah. using GitHub, you can use this for... Yeah, exactly. It has nothing to do with GitHub. It's just... Yeah you have access to every version of an ignore file that GitHub thinks is good. Related to that is gitignore.io. This is another one. You can come down here and search for other stuff. Like, for example, there was no Flutter um, but in, in the GitHub one. But over here, I can put Flutter, and here's my Flutter one for all the crazy build code generation madness you get. So there's a project by TopTal, but gitignore.io, and you just put nice. it in here. Um, I'm looking for whatever, and, and then it'll pull Ooh, up. Oh, so. see... To type PyTest, see if it'll do the uh, no, no results. results found. Oh, oh sad. Yeah. Sad face. Okay. But anyway, if you're looking for ignores um, for projects, there you go. Those are kind of nice. Cool. Nice. All right. Are you all ready for a joke? 
Yeah. Yes. Brian, I thought about you on this one in particular, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what you think of it. So this is one. It has. It's a cartoon, and it has a cartoon character looking at two red buttons. They're both going to do something massive. One has the star asterisk character, and one has the ampersand. <sighs> And there's the, the person there just sweating out like, uh, their fingers try in the middle, try doesn't know which one to pick. And uh -huh. it said, uh, my C code isn't working. Uh, no involves pointers. <laughs> what do you think, Brian? I would not hire this person. <laughs> <laughs> this so is the, yeah. the star will dereference the pointer, turning a, a pointer into one less level of pointing into yeah. a value, where the ampersand will take a variable and make it a pointer. Or if it is a pointer, make it a pointer to a pointer or, or even more so. Which one do you press? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it should be obvious by context. It says a C++. <laughs> Aaron, do you have to do any of this kind of crazy stuff? Or are you thankfully above and beyond the pointer world? I am. Um, yeah. Thankfully not. Uh, yeah. No, no, no C++ in my world. Yeah. All right. Well, that's what I got. I brought that one for you, Brian. It's good. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'll, <welcome>. to, <laughs> I'll incorporate that into my next interview. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you need to change a, a yeah. string and you're given a variable. Which one of these do you push? <laughs> All nice. Right. All right. Cool. All right. Well, Aaron, it's been great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you yeah, both. Thanks. Yeah, you bet. And Brian, thanks as always. All See right. you. Bye. See y'all.